Hola, hola. Bienvenidos to one more episode of Café with Comadres. Just a quick heads up, today we will have a práctica. Towards the end of the episode, we will invite you to connect with your own body. So, if you need to pause this episode and go find a different place to experience that, or you want to listen to these in a more private space, feel free to do that. You may just want to save this and come back to it when you are in your room, on your own, enjoying all of yourself. So, Café with Comadres, here we go, episode three of our season two. We are Latinas meeting at the intersection of healing, faith, and justice. Here at Café with Comadres, we believe in the healing power of sisterhood and honest conversations that touch the heart and bring forth life. So grab your cafecito, bring your thoughts and tenderness, and join us for today's Sobremesa. I'm here with my comadre, Karen Gonzalez. Hola, hola. And we continue with the topic of embodiment. We like to think of these episodes as the second part of the Sobremesa, where the good stuff comes out And it's only appropriate that we talked about our sacred sexualities. Shall we begin, Karen? Let's do it. All right. Well, a number of years ago, I had been invited to give a talk about remaining in Christ. I prayed to get some wisdom. And most likely, I prayed because I was procrastinating and needed some quick resource. What does remaining in you mean, Lord? So to my surprise, an image popped into my head of the one time when a guy I was dating at the time and I spent a moment intimately gazing into each other's eyes before we strongly made out. Really, God, I'm supposed to talk about this? I felt so uneasy. At the time, I had spent enough time in the Iglesia Evangelica and the Evangelical Church to know this moment was considered unholy that it was not deemed above reproach. And yet all my reflections were pulled in that direction. The more I pressed into that image and that moment, the more I realized it was filled with affection and compassion. There was a tenderness about that space. There was awe and there was a recognition of the weight and the responsibility of holding each other's bodies. I began to understand the sense of mutual agreement that is shared in those moments when they go well. I should be really careful with that. For us, we gaze at each other with profound admiration, with acknowledgement of the depth we were reaching. We gave each other consent to be nourished by each other's words and touch and by each other's body. It was holy. It was sacred. And as I was praying, God reminded me of the safety that can be experienced in those moments. A safety that had been very unknown to me. In my reflections, I was beginning to see the beauty of choosing to put myself in a vulnerable position of trust before someone who truly understood that before them stood a person made into the very image of God and who wished to please me and not harm me and to give themselves away. It was quite a new thing, and I understood that mutual trust, respect, and admiration allow for the vulnerability needed to sustain a relationship and allows us to remain. I sense God invited me to experience that level of intimacy with them, the kind that shows how rich the blessings that come from God are and how wonderful 
awe-inspiring the life that God wants us to create is. It is an intimacy that risks and willingly places itself in appropriate vulnerability to be able to express desire and receive. And today, as I go back and reflect about that image, I think of what if we have that sense of trust first with ourselves, that deep respect and admiration that allow us to be fully vulnerable with ourselves, fully accepting of where we are, and that allow us to offer that safety to others and to invite the divine into it. The divine manifests itself in embodied experiences. It is about the concrete. We do not experience God outside of our bodies, but with our very being, the only one we have. Our bodies are how we experience life. And if we can't experience God and the divine in them, then how can we say that we know God? That's what I'm bringing to this table. So, comadre, what are you bringing to the mesa today? How has sexuality helped you connect with or understand the divine? That is a great question. And I have to be honest that for a long time, it really, the divine and my sexual self did not connect in any way at all. I came to faith, you know, I came to my particular faith first in the Catholic church and then in the evangelical church. And there was a real disconnect. Now there were some parts of faith that were embodied, like, you know, sometimes you kneel, right? You cross yourself in the Catholic church. But for the most part, the body was just very separate from the divine. And in some ways, I was taught that it was like an enemy, that your body is the flesh and it needs to be tamed and put under. And so I remember the earliest thing I learned about my sexuality and faith, and it was a don't do it. <laughs> don't think about it. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't uh, engage it in any way until you're married. Apparently when you're married, there's a, a switch that you flip and all of a sudden you can be a sexual being. And that's really where I lived for a long time in this complete disconnect. And then of course there were these weird things in the church where they would talk about Jesus as your boyfriend or you're dating Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you remember this. You remember yes, this. And it just sounds so ridiculous. But completely. Yes. Completely ridiculous. I hadn't um, heard it in a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, I was um when I was a student in seminary, uh, we were reading Song of Solomon, which if you don't know, is a book of the Bible that is very, very sexy. And not only is it sexy, but what you have are people in the in the book who are clearly not married because they're looking for places to get it on um, and hiding. And there's uh, this longing for each other, but also an inability to find each other. And there's all this poetic image imagery. It's a little weird for our time, but it was quite common, I guess, in the ancient world. And so there's no talk of procreation and there's no talk of marriage. And yet the two people in the book have this really intense sexual longing for each other. The first questions I'd ever asked about Song of Solomon had been answered with, oh, that's about 
our relationship with God, about the intimacy that we experience with God. And I just found that really strange because there are very specific sexual imagery in that book, talking about her breasts and her body. And, you know, there's all this longing and desire. And I thought this doesn't resonate with me as something that is about God. It feels like the most perfect kind of human sexual love outside of paradise, because there's still some problems. And so to me, it seemed like a book that was really quite beautiful, aside from the bizarre imagery, but it didn't talk about marriage and it never talked about procreation. It was just these people with this intense sexual longing. And so that's really, I think, the first time that I saw, oh, this idea like, okay, sex is good and it's not an enemy and my sexual self is not to be feared or put down, or tamed in some way, it is okay to welcome my whole self, which includes my sexual self, right, Uh, my body, into any kind of encounter with the divine, that in fact it is a way uh, to also be connected to my body. And ultimately, there was something that I heard Rob Bell say once, he was talking about what it means to be sexy, because of course, I think Sandy, you and I grew up in like similar church experiences of like being sexy was not okay. It was okay to be modest. (laughs) And that was it, right? But he described in his book, Sex God, he described being sexy as being fully comfortable with your own body. And wouldn't that be something that the divine would want for you? They would want you to be fully comfortable and at home in your own body. But that's all that is, a sense of comfort in your own body that allows you to express, you know, that sexual self. Yeah. And I just, I think of like how much of a practice of resistance it is to be comfortable in our own bodies. If we think of our faith as a practice of resistance of conforming to the patterns of the world, then how could we embrace a faith that says, I am going to be comfortable with this body that like, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to live with all that it is. Um, in ways that our society doesn't make space for it, right? Like that we're always being called to be either cover it up in some of our churches and how life has filtered there. Like your body is, is, uh, is dangerous or, uh, in societies like your, your body is never enough. Your body is never enough. It's never tall enough, never thin enough, never wide enough, never able enough, never X, Y, Z. So that's a beautiful, beautiful image. I love what you were saying too about the, uh, song of Solomon and just what I think about that part is that it is the voice of a woman that we see in there longing for her lover in ways that, you know, we don't see women, like we don't even see women speak like in a lot of parts of the Bible, you know, we just know they existed, they were there. Um, We hear, you know, glimpses here and there, but in that is like a whole book where we see her longings and her desires. And we never talk about that. You know, it's like we always stop at the, let's think about this in a very church and God space and not into the, this is a very human reality. 
we have desires and women who had often been the ones that are thought of as like the people without desires, right? The people that have to tame them, the people that have to like repress that, to no show desire because um, we lose respect respect when we show desire, right? In certain atmospheres. So it's fascinating that that's there in our sacred literature. Yeah, it really is. It's a, and you know, this, there's a whole, the, the fact that it's a woman who, whose voice you hear is so significant because there's so much in the church. There's just a focus on women as, you know, wives and mothers. Um, but in this book, no connection to children at all, just like raw sexual desire. <laughs> and she's expressing it very openly and clearly. And yeah, there's something very empowering and free about the book. And I think that's why it's been scary to so many men over time. This is why they've tried to tell us, you know, there was one of uh, the church fathers, uh, John Chrysostom, who actually, you know, there's a part where the lover is describing her breasts and how he loves them and longs to touch them and all of that. And John Chrysostom, the church father, was so uncomfortable with that image that he actually said that one breast represented the Old Testament and the other breast represented the New Testament. Complete <laughs> scriptures here. <laughs> yes, because he couldn't accept the idea that this was a woman very comfortable with sex and with expressing sexual desire. And so, yeah, it's been so many people have tried to explain away that it's not really about sex when in fact, I mean, read it. It's not hard to see <laughs> and interpret in that way. It's it's a reach really to say anything else about it. So, and I think also it's powerful that they're not married, that there is longing for each other, because that's the other thing that we've been told in the church is that, you know, sexuality is to be repressed until you one day magically, you know, flip a switch when you say I do. And of course, that's created a lot of problems for a lot of people because they're not able to flip that switch because humans don't work that way. We're not robots. We're not machines. And we have to be able to live our lives as sexual beings before any kind of, of marriage. And so, yeah, I think it's a very, um, it's a really powerful story for us to really engage. And, you know, most churches are really afraid to engage it. They kind of don't, you don't hear a lot of sermons about it. <laughs> you don't hear a lot of teaching on it, right? Yep. People are yep. afraid of it. Yeah. I think um, the church has done a lot to, create these boxes on where our sexuality can fit. And, you know, Dr. Lauren Frances Guerra, a professor at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, speaks of the unfair dichotomy that Christian thought often offers about women specifically. And she says, you know, Mary's virginity and obedience to God are to be revered. And then there's Eve, whose disobedience and whose sexuality are perceived as the root of human sin. And women basically have these two paths to choose from, to be a virgin or a whore, a good or evil. And the paradigm lives much to be desired in her thought. Instead, what she offers is that we can seek to affirm human sexuality in our bodies as gracious gifts from the creator. And she says that we are called to become unapologetically comfortable 
in our own skin. I find that very liberating. And I find this like the way in which we've just like placed, the church has placed this, this sexual desire, this recognition of just our full humanity as human beings that are comfortable, that are uh, that are embracing the realities of literally developmental processes that happen in us um, that cause us to have desire in certain ways for some as evil, that we've passed like this moral judgment on these things. And so what has been your journey to embrace your sexuality and your body as gracious gifts from the creator? What has helped you in this liberative journey? Yeah, well, I'll be honest, it's really difficult to unlearn the harmful messages. You know, there's a way in which our culture commodifies bodies, right? But it also, as you said, tells you your body's not enough. You need to be more of this or less of that. And so that's a really, when you're hit with that constantly, it's a really, really difficult to embrace that this body that you have (laughs) is good enough. It's good enough to engage, you know, sexually. And I was thinking of, I, um, I don't know if you remember uh, a few years ago when everybody was reading Eat, Pray, Love, and then the movie came out. There's this one scene in the movie that I thought was really interesting because the main character in the film has gone through a really painful divorce and as a result has lost a ton of weight. Uh, Just the depression and the stress and anxiety of it all has really done a number on her body. And there's a point at which she puts on lingerie and sits on the floor of this apartment that she's rented in Italy and she drinks wine and eats food that she prepared for herself. And it's just for her. Like the lingerie wasn't for a man. It was Mm. for herself to feel this, you know, lingerie is so pretty. It's silky, it's soft, right? And lacy. And she did that to feel sexual, to feel desirable for no one, just to feel that in her body herself. And that's the turning point where she begins to eat. And and there's a, a point in the film soon after that where she's having a conversation with a friend as they're enjoying this pizza that just looks amazing. And the friend's like, oh no, I'm going to feel so bad tomorrow after having eaten this. And she turns to her and says, you know what? Have you ever been naked with a partner and that person has run away (laughs) because you weren't perfect. And, and of course she responds, no, she's like, great, then let's enjoy our pizza. And tomorrow we'll just buy bigger jeans and be happy, you know? (laughs) And, um, and really it was, it was really a testament to her growth and being able to accept her body. But I think that honestly, there's a lot in that book that's like, white woman privilege that's not great. But there are little arrows of truth throughout it that really resonated with me. And that was one of them, the idea of feeling good in your own body and feeling sexy in your own body, and that being okay to embrace that part of who you are. And that's it. I mean, she doesn't get involved with anyone in that, you know, in Italy, she's just herself and enjoying the fact that she's a sexual being even without any kind of relationship. And so I think as a single adult, that idea that was exemplified in that film has been really important for me. 
that you don't put parts of yourself away that you need to be remembered, right? Redash membered and be complete. And so that's been significant for me. And I think as you were reading that, you know, one thing that I have done is really tried to uh, reject those messages, but it's not enough to reject them. You also have to replace them. You can't like leave a vacuum, right? Of rejecting negative messages. You also have to embrace positive ones. And so for me, it has been a process of growth toward being able to embrace my whole self, including my sexual self. But it, sadly, it has meant rejecting a lot of the teachings that I received in the church and walking toward something entirely different, different way of being. So I've done a lot of different things for that. So one of the things I did is I started writing erotica, which yeah. I don't share with anyone. <laughs> you know, it's just for me. But, um, you know, I'm a writer, so I really love words and connect well with written words. And it's been a really good way to connect with myself in that way and to think of myself in that way. And again, I still have to overcome feelings of shame that were imposed on me from the church, even doing that. But it has been, for me, a really good process of, of learning and embracing that and calling it good, not calling it shame, which I think is much of what we experienced in the church, right? A lot of shame around being a sexual being. Yeah. And I hear the the joy that comes from that rest of simply just existing in yourself, existing in your body and, you know, wearing that that sexy outfit, that lingerie for yourself to feel empowered, to feel like, yes, my body is acceptable. It's it's not, it's more than acceptable. It's worthy of celebration is, you know, it can exist in all its glory and be experiencing all its glory. And I realized at the same time that we don't start the journey in the same spots and that our liberation journey doesn't look the same, right? That it, it, it will look different from different people. I realize that there is a lot of trauma at the same time that I want to acknowledge. And then sometimes being comfortable in your own skin when there's been deep trauma, when there's been messages that have been violent and harmful, the undoing and our learning is different. And that even like touching these topics of sexuality can be really difficult. I think I, I want to acknowledge that, right? That the liberation journey in this sexuality can look different for different people. I remember reading an article once that uh, was put out there by someone who really longed for or really was like thinking about what does it look like for my disabled brother to have sexual expression? What does it look like for them to to be with someone? And and could they could that someone be someone that just helps them experience this about themselves in ways that they couldn't otherwise, and in ways that we know that this person may not be able, um, from what the article said, may not be able to sustain a long-term relationship with someone. And so could a casual encounter where they will affirm what they know of their body being glorious and just be able to have some shared pleasure with someone, what could that look like? And so there's a lot, um, a lot of different spaces where we 
where this conversation can happen and, and this looks different um, for people in different journeys. And I think for me, I, I'm, I'm in the same in the same boat as you were sharing, uh, Karen, removing a lot of the shame that has been often placed upon us. Even as I grew up in a very, uh, in a non-religious family, I think there still was the thought of like sexuality is reserved for certain moments, for certain spaces. And to be respectable, you must not be someone who enjoys their body. It is a journey to embrace our sexuality as a gracious gift from the creator. And I'm learning. And I think what I offer is what I said in the beginning, that sexuality in this place can be a vulnerable thing. To be truly in touch with your desire, to be truly in touch with who you are, it's a vulnerable thing. It's a vulnerable thing to see your body and embrace it. It's a vulnerable thing to, to express a desire for pleasure because there is a potential for letdown, for not hope, you know, even from your own self. So this has been a really good conversation, but we know that we uh, wanted to close this with a practica because you may remember that that's part of what we do. We can't talk about embodiment without connecting with ourselves. And so Karen, I know that you've used the practice before that your therapist has given you and that you want to share that with us. So I'm going to let you set that up. All right. Thank you, Sandy. So I want to preface this by saying that this practice is difficult. It sounds really easy. And in fact, it's very simple, very simple, but it is not easy. It is a difficult thing to do. Because part of what I was talking about with my therapist was the idea of how do you change the narrative inside your head? How do you rewire your brain to see your body and see good instead of shame, instead of whatever has been put on you? Maybe all you see is imperfections. Maybe all you see is all the ways you're not like X supermodel or actress or whomever it is whose body you think is ideal the fact is your body is good and not good enough it is just good but in order to see that you really do have to rewire your brain and so this is the invitation that my therapist gave to me that i want to impart with you and i do want to say it comes from a book out there on uh, sex and sexuality, which we will have in the show notes for you. But it's very basic. What you're going to do, if you can do it now, is to go to a mirror, a full length mirror. So find a full length mirror wherever you are in your house. If you're not in your house, you can do this when you get home. And what you do is you remove all of your clothing. So I have tended to do this practica usually in the morning before I get dressed. And you look at your naked body in the mirror, the full length mirror, and you find one good thing that you see about your body. And you can write that down. Now, you don't have to find 20 things. You're not going to say some kind of affirmation that you don't believe, like my body is perfect. No, you're not doing any of that. All you're doing is finding one thing that you like about your body. Let's face it, friends, all of us have been trained 
to look at our bodies and only see what we don't like. And so now we have to train ourselves to see the good, to see the beautiful, and to see what it is about our bodies that we actually do like and enjoy. And so when I started doing this practice, um, it was so hard for me, but I, I started with, I really like my toes. I really like that they're like descending in size from the big toe to the little toe. And I like that. I think it's, I think it's pretty. And that's the first thing that I could say about my body. What happens as you do this practica day by day is that you'll start to see more and more things about your body that you like. Even if at first it's difficult for you because of our cultures, messaging and narratives that are out there. But remember, you can't have a vacuum, right? You can't reject a message without embracing another. And so we want to embrace what's good. And that does require intentionality. It's not just going to fall from the sky on us. And so I encourage you to do that, to look at your body. And even if it's just, you know, you start small, you'll gradually be able to see and embrace more and more good and beautiful in the body that you have right now. Not the body of the future, not the body that you dream about, but the body that is right at this moment. So friends, please try this practica. We are rooting for you to love and embrace your body just the way it is. We want you to live into that reality of being a whole human being who isn't dismembered, but rather remembered and connected. Yes. And so here's to you embracing all of who you are. As I love my short, black, hairy, chubby body, I know that if I can offer love to what has been called undesirable, I can offer love beyond that. And so my prayer for you is that you too can offer love to that which has been called undesirable so that you may be able to love beyond that. So thank you, Karen. And thank you everyone for joining us wherever you did. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you listen to it. It helps others find us and it lets us know what you thought. We are always listening. You can also follow us on Instagram at Café with Comadres and leave comments on this episode's post to continue the conversation. Aquí termina esta sobremesa. Hasta la próxima. Until next time. Until next time, amigas. Mm -hmm.